Welcome to The Cantankerous Catholic with Joe Sixpack, the every Catholic guy. Listen to Joe tackle the really tough moral issues, current events, and politics from a Catholic perspective. Now here's Joe Sixpack, the every Catholic guy. Hello again, Sixpack Warriors. Welcome back to The Cantankerous Catholic, episode 193. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. On the third day, he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and life everlasting. Amen. I do solemnly swear that I will support and defend the Constitution of the United States against all enemies, foreign and domestic, that I will bear true faith and allegiance to the same, and that I will obey the orders of the President of the United States and the orders of the officers appointed over me, according to the regulation and uniform code of military justice. So help me God. Uvalde school shooting marked the beginning of the end of our democratic republic. It was the raid of Mar-a-Lago that pretty much defined the end of our republic in the minds of a majority of Americans. Consequently, there's a lot of talk now about our second civil war. In this week's episode, we're going to discuss some of the aftermath of the Uvalde school shooting, civil war in America, and the Second Amendment. I try never to do this, but the Biden economy has this apostolate against the ropes. Virtually everything used to keep this apostolate in business is crushing me. Up to now, when the apostolate hasn't generated enough revenue to cover expenses, I've paid for it out of pocket. 
that's no longer an option because our personal income is only about $2,000 per month and we're being crushed. I realize that this economy is hurting you too, but most of you have more disposable income than we do. I need your help because we're having to choose which essentials we can afford on a month-by-month basis. There are two ways you can help. In the show notes of each episode at cantankerouscatholic.com, there are a list of links under headings Earn Money Online, Courses and Tools, Health and Wellness, Trading and Investing, Podcasting, and Miscellaneous. These links are to products and services that may interest you, and I get a commission if you purchase them. As always, I won't recommend anything I believe is shady, and to the best of my knowledge, you can trust these links. The other way you can help is by clicking on the link that says help keep the Joe Sixpack the Every Catholic Guy Apostolate alive. You can make a one-time gift, but you'll also have the option of making yours a monthly gift. Please make it a monthly gift if you can. Food shortages are already becoming apparent, and rolling blackouts are coming soon. We're elderly and ill. We need help, and I thank you in advance for your generosity. The first thing that I want to make crystal clear is that the cantankerous Catholic is neither calling for a civil war nor endorses one. But you need to understand what all the brouhaha means from both a Catholic and constitutional perspective. It's going to affect your lives very soon and with great speed, no matter what happens. I'm firmly convinced that both sides are pushing for a civil war. Since the raid at Mar-a-Lago, a huge percentage of Trump supporters are calling for a civil war, and not without some justification. Likewise, the pretender Biden administration is gearing up the federal government for war against the American citizenry. There have been many signs that the federal government and the deep state intend tyranny and oppression against the American people. During the Obama administration, virtually every department of the federal government was weaponized. No, they weren't weaponized with ideologies. That had been done decades ago. They were weaponized with military-grade weapons. The wake-up call that shocked me into reality was when Obama armed the Department of Education. What does the DOE need with weapons? The Dems want to forgive all student debts, so heavy-handed tactics for debt collection can't be the answer for arming the DOE. It's got to be something more. Whereas parents have had their rights over their children's education stripped of them by the DOE, the school children as early as kindergarten are being indoctrinated in critical race theory and transgenderism, and the LGBT lobby has successfully managed to set children up for grooming in most school districts, we have to logically conclude that the DOE has been weaponized against parents and grandparents. Most recently, Congress has passed a bill that Biden signed into law that authorizes the hiring of 87,000 new IRS agents. Before the bill was even signed, the IRS began advertising for new agents who are willing to carry firearms and use lethal force. While the Dems are doing everything they can to disarm the American people, the IRS is being armed to the teeth. 
Why is the IRS in need of AR-15 type weapons? Why do we need 87,000 new IRS agents, agents who are armed? Count on it. The so-called middle class, and for the first time in history, poor people, are going to find out how aggressive and tyrannical an IRS audit can be. Make no mistake, the federal government is preparing to go to war with American citizens. The deep state and the Dems have every intention of enslaving us with tyranny and intimidation. Things are heating up on the other side, too. Ever since the raid on President Donald Trump's Mar-a-Lago estate in Florida on August 8th, many people on the right are advocating civil war. Many thousands have already been arrested by the feds for merely suggesting it's time for a revolt. So much for free speech. It was after the Uvalde school shooting that motivated a new wave of proposed laws that violate the Second Amendment. The Dems seized the moment and found new momentum to come after your guns. Never mind that the Second Amendment to the Constitution guarantees that the federal government will protect your right to be armed. The Dems don't care about your inalienable rights. No one expressed the Democrat position better than Democratic Representative from Rhode Island, David Cicilline, during congressional hearings after the Uvalde school shooting. So spare me the bullshit about well, constitutional rights. Well, the gentleman not be, No, I will not yield, and I'm not going to yield for my entire five minutes, so don't ask again. They don't care about your rights. As far as the Dems are concerned, you don't have any inalienable God-given rights. The only rights you have are those afforded you by the state and its benevolent generosity. I'm absolutely convinced that an Article 5 Convention of States is the best remedy we have to turn things around to avoid a civil war. And there's a link in my show notes for this episode at cantankerouscatholic.com if you want to learn more. Then begin writing and calling your state senators and representatives. But I'm not talking about the Article 5 Convention of States in this episode. Here we're focused on your inalienable rights under the Constitution and why the Founding Fathers enshrined them in the Constitution. On the heels of the Uvalde school shooting, GOP Representative Mo Brooks of Alabama appeared on Fox News Sunday on May 29th. He was interviewed by idiot and anti-American interviewer Sandra Smith. I love the way Brooks was so organized in his thoughts and presentation and the fact that he wasn't going to take any crap from Smith. The first thing he did was to define the reality of the Second Amendment, and he did a beautiful job of it. He's now Republican Congressman and Alabama Senate candidate Mo Brooks. Congressman, welcome and thank you for joining us here on Fox News Sunday. Thank you, Sandra. So you heard just a moment ago there, um, uh, Republican Senator John Cornyn of Texas and some other Republican members of Congress have spoken out as well. They're suggesting that perhaps there could be some common ground found here on gun legislation in the wake of this most recent shooting. Would you support any changes, sir, to the current gun laws on the books? Well, let's, for emphasis, understand what the Second Amendment is about. The Second Amendment is designed to help ensure that we, the citizenry, always have the right to take back our government should it become dictatorial. That was a great fear of the Founding Fathers, and quite frankly, it's a fear today. And as long as we enjoy 
uninfringed Second Amendment rights, then we don't really have to worry that much about the government ever becoming dictatorial. But the moment that we take from our citizenry, our ability to take our government back is the moment that the ability of dictatorial forces increases to the point where perhaps they will try to implement a dictatorial government at the federal uh, level. So I want to protect the Second Amendment right to bear arms. The amendment is very clear. It says the right to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. If there are proposals out there that guarantee uh, the rights of the American people to freely exercise their Second Amendment right to bear and keep arms, then I'll consider them. But if you're talking about depriving people of their Second Amendment right to bear arms, well, first, it's unconstitutional. So you're going to have to address that with a constitutional amendment, and we'll see how Congress Congress and the states react to that kind of measure. Uh, but second, it's not the proper way to go if you want to preserve our freedoms. And I say that having been the target of an assassination attempt on a baseball field in Virginia where 170 some odd bullets were fired over about a seven minute period of time. So I've been in the middle of one of these things and I was a primary target of the assassin where he had my name, my physical description in his pocket at the time he launched this attack. What we have to do is stop the motivation that causes these criminals, these horrific individuals, to do what they do. Brooks was the first politician to say what he did about mass shootings. He told Fox viewers that the problem isn't guns or the Second Amendment. What he said was the most obvious problem to blame for mass shootings, and that's the moral decline in America brought to you courtesy of the very people who want to take away your guns. I want to I want to dig into that uh, in just a moment because you did say some things on that this week. But first to the specific gun laws in your state, sir. Uh, the minimum age in your state to buy an AR-15 like the one the school shooter used in Uvalde is 18 years old. There's no waiting period between the time that a firearm is purchased and when it's actually turned over to the buyer. There's no license for the sale of ammunition. Gallup research does find that a majority of Americans, 52% of them, are in favor of stricter gun laws when it comes to the sale of firearms. So to the majority of Americans who feel that way, you say what? Well, I suggest that the polling day that you have does not really reflect the opinions of the American people. I suspect that the people who were polled by way of example were not properly explained what the purpose of the Second Amendment right to bear arms is. And I'll use my own history as an example. There were many times when I went to school with a shotgun in my car. Why? Because I just got through duck hunting. Uh, there are other uh, teenagers my age at that t point in time that also brought their weapons to school. And they had been hunters, too, for whatever it is uh, the hunting season was about. Now, back when I was growing up, we didn't have these mass killings, okay? They weren't there. They didn't occur. Or if they did, I certainly was not cognizant of them, and they were very, very, very rare, so rare that I cannot recall a single instance in which one of those things occurred during my youth. Today, they're much more common. What's the big difference between when I was growing up and today? The big difference is a decline in the moral values, a decline in the respect for human life. If we teach proper moral values, if we teach respect for human life, if we properly address uh, mental health issues that may somehow or another be associated with all these things, then that is the way to fix the problem.
Okay. So to that point, this week, you suggested just that, what you believe is behind the rising number of mass shootings in America. You said this, it reflects poorly on liberal policies that encourage out-of-wedlock childbirth, divorce, single-parent households, and amoral values that undermine respect for life. Mass killings that are common in America today were, as you just stated, when I grew up, a very rare thing. The way to prevent mass killings, you say, is to restore moral values. I'll dig into that more in just a second. Being a typical sea slug in the media, you know, those soulless creatures completely devoid of any moral compass whatsoever, Sandra Smith countered Brooks by trying to make red flag laws an issue. Brooks wouldn't be baited, though. But does that statement, sir, unfairly blame single-parent households in this country for the rise of mass shootings? Uh, Absolutely not. It blames moral values decline in the United States of America, and there are a lot of factors that have contributed to our moral decline. By way of example, all the studies I've ever seen suggest that children who are raised with just one parent around, uh, they don't do as well by the time they become adults. Why? Because it's almost impossible for a single parent to do the kind of job that two parents collectively can do. It's just a numbers game. And there are a lot of single parents that do an excellent job raising their kids, but they are super parents. And I thank them for the effort that they've put forth in producing children who later become responsible adults. But unfortunately, the data is very clear. Those single-parent households, for whatever reason, end up resulting in children who are more likely to be on welfare, who are less likely to get the kind of grades you expect to get in school, who are more likely to be involved in drugs, and who, unfortunately, are more likely to be involved in criminal conduct. That's just the data. Now, that's not to say that all single parents do that, okay? That is not the Mm -hmm. data. We're talking about probabilities and tendencies, and one, two, three, four, five percent greater probability that has an effect on society. So, restoring moral values, that's you're calling for glacial change there. People want to know what can be done today. Aren't you then making the case for red flag laws that could help these communities identify someone who owns a firearm, who doesn't have respect for human life? They have been adopted in 19 states, but not Alabama. Would you support that? Under the United States Constitution, before you can do something to this kind of individual, you have to show, one, that their mind's off a little bit, and two, that they have engaged in some kind of conduct that would warrant you taking the appropriate kind of action against them by way of example to house them for their own protection or protection of others. It might be a non-compass mentis, excuse me, a mental capacity type of hearing. Uh, there, there are laws already on the books to take care of those types of mm-hmm. uh, issues. The problem is identifying them and identifying them as opposed to the problem associated with misidentifying others. And there has to be a balance. And that's a real challenge for our probate courts around the country and every other uh, governmental body or person who is responsible for determining when someone becomes a risk to themselves and to others. That's a very difficult thing to mind read. So is it fair to say you could be, if it was written correctly, open to some sort of red flag law in your state? We, I'm not talking about red flag laws. I'm talking about a person who is a danger to others that we already have laws for that are already on the books, okay? Mm-hmm. If you've got some kind of mental issue and you are a danger to yourself or a danger yeah. to others, then you already can be subject to court jurisdiction and the appropriate court remedies to ensure that you're no longer a danger to yourself and to others. That exists now. That's been on the books in Alabama for decades, and I believe it's been on the books throughout the country for decades.
There isn't one single thing Brooks said in his entire interview that was wrong. Indeed, he sounded more Catholic than the Protestant that he is. If you want to listen to the entire 15-minute interview, the link is in my show notes. Okay, so why is it so important that you know and understand the reason you have the Second Amendment rights you have? Well, there's no doubt that there are thousands of calls for civil war on the right. Everyone knows that because the lamestream media tells us about how deplorable Trump supporters are for doing it. What the lamestream media doesn't tell you, though, is that the FBI and DHS has issued warnings about impending war, a war they're provoking by way of a joint statement on August 15th. Add that to the fact that every department of the federal government has military armaments, even those that have nothing to do with law enforcement, and you have a federal government poised to attack and subjugate you. Nothing is going to stop the tyranny. Nothing's going to stop the Civil War. It's inevitable from either side. The thing you need to know is that you have a God-given right to keep and bear arms, and you have a divine moral obligation to protect your family and possessions. And I have a strong recommendation with that in mind. Every single household should have at least one handgun, one rifle, and one shotgun. If the use of firearms is new to you, take a course in firearm safety with an NRA-certified instructor. For you six-pack warriors in Missouri, my brother is an NRA-certified instructor. Reach out to me and I'll put you in touch. Protect yourself, your family, and your property. Here's something else you need to consider. This will be harder for you city dwellers to digest than you country folks, but you know in your heart of hearts that what I'm about to say is true. If it's not already too late, you really need to protect your families by living off the grid. Living off the grid has its challenges, but you quite easily can do it. Toward that end, I'm writing a new book that I hope to have published and in print by the end of September. It's titled, How Your Family Can Survive When Society Collapses. The content of the book is packed full of everything you need to live off the grid. This is the one time I'm not able to take my own advice but wish I could. I'd completely move Mrs. Sixpack and myself off the grid if I could. We're just too old and sick to do it. I hope and pray to Almighty God that you take my advice and move off the grid, because I've never been so fearful of America's future than I am now. Even if a civil war doesn't kick off, I wouldn't be at all surprised if one of our enemies invades our nation while our military is at one of its weakest points in history. Please think about moving off the grid. Get a copy of my book when it comes out because it tells you everything you need to know in order to survive and prosper. Now for an announcement about this apostolate. I told you in a recent episode that I'm going to begin curtailing the apostolate because of inflation and the crippling costs associated. They're crippling for me anyway, but the expenses probably don't seem like all that much to you. Everything I said about curtailing aspects of the apostolate you can forget. God has made it crystal clear to me that he wants me to continue doing what I do and simply trust him to do what I can't. 
I don't know where the money's going to come from. Apparently, such knowledge is above my pay grade. As long as there's money, though, I'm going to do the work. I'm just going to have to better learn to trust him. Since God chooses to usually work with the cooperation of we laity, I'm also trusting you to respond positively and generously to the graces he gives you. Keep in mind that you're dependent on God for everything. You can't even draw your next breath without him. So share your abundance as he commands. You'd have no abundance without him. Got a business or an apostolate? Why not consider advertising on the Cantankerous Catholic? I'll give you nine reasons why you should. One, 82.4% of podcast listeners spend more than seven hours per week listening to podcasts. Two, 54% of listeners are more likely to buy something advertised on a podcast because they like and trust the host. Three, podcasts are proven to get more ad results to highly refined targeted audience. The smaller audiences on podcasts buy more than the largest audiences on terrestrial radio or television. Four, our listeners' annual household income is $75,000 or higher. Five, 49% of Americans listen to podcasts monthly. Six, 55% of Americans listen to podcasts. Seven, three out of four listeners listen to learn new things, ideal for advertisers. Eight, 82.4% of podcast listeners spend more than seven hours per week listening to podcasts. Nine, advertising on the Cantankerous Catholic helps support a completely orthodox apostolate poised to help instigate a Catholic revival, and one's coming. Over 81% of our more than 70,000 listeners are right here in America. We're listened to in all 50 states and tens of thousands of cities and towns. Advertising on the Cantankerous Catholic costs far less than you might think. I'm not trying to make a living, but only keep this apostolate alive, and you'd be helping with that. So reach out to me today at joeatcantankerouscatholic.com and let's talk about it. It's time for the Sacred Heart Wins with Bishop Joseph Strickland. Each week, His Excellency answers your toughest questions about the Catholic faith, the problems in the church, spiritual questions, catechetical topics, or anything else you want to know. If you have a question, just email it to joe at cantankerouscatholic.com. Now here's Bishop Strickland and Joseph Pack, the Every Catholic Guy. Hello, Your Excellency. How you doing? Good, Joe. How are you? Okay, just fine. Listen, let's get right to it. We've got a hot, uh, a hot potato question today from Chris. He asks, is the church being destroyed from within by the homo mafia, and can you name them? Well, Chris, um, I think there is a lot of sinfulness that is uh, harming the church, a lot of agendas that are simply not following the deposit of faith, following the catechism, following sacred scripture. Uh, as far as naming, as he calls it, the, I think he said the homo mafia. No, I, I can't name names. Um, but we are all called to fidelity to 
And every bishop, uh, as I've said many times in different settings, it's part of my commitment to guard the deposit of faith. And every bishop makes that same promise in the ordination right of a bishop. So the challenge that we face is to re be more united in Christ and to follow the teachings. Uh, there's a tendency to want to change teachings in the world. As Pope Benedict called it, um, you know, relativism that's just gone rampant um, in our world and in the church. We know that there is objective truth that is revealed truth that is beautiful. And I, I guess that's the final way that I would answer that question is to remember what the church teaches us is a treasure. The deposit of faith is not some burdensome ball and chain that we need to cast off. It is our freedom. It frees people from sinful inclinations of whatever kind and the inclinations of sexual immorality that are rampant in our world are very destructive. And some are saying, oh, well, we need to take a new look and we need to re-examine or sort of ignore parts of scripture and change the catechism. That is simply not Catholic. It's not according to the deposit of faith that we receive. St. Paul makes it very clear to avoid falling into any false gospel that may crop up. And he's talking 2000 years ago, but there are false gospels today. So I think the, the root of the question that I hear there is, is immorality and a tendency to turn a blind eye to sin harming the church? I would say yes. And we've got to all be more faithful to the deposit of faith, to the ancient truth, truth that Jesus Christ has lived, died, and risen to share with us. Thank you, Excellency. One thing I think requires interjection on my part. Uh, Chris, I have mentioned on the show before that Bishop Strickland not only can't, but shouldn't name names, because the very least that can happen there is that you take the supposedly guilty party and drive them deeper into sin, further away from the church. And so really, if Bishop Strickland were to do anything, it would be to deal with these people one-on-one -on -one rather than publicly call them out by name. Agreed, Excellency? Absolutely. And that's an important point, Joe. And also to remember, we get frustrated and we get angry sometimes, and it hurts us to see false things happening and immorality rampant. But we always need to remember whoever is doing that, whether it's a bishop or it's Joe or Jane in the pew or whoever it is, they're beloved of God by definition, by the fact that they're human beings. God's love is extended to that person. So I think that inspires us not to be milk toasty about it, but to be clear that whenever we're frustrated with another human being, we need to remind ourselves that that person is beloved of God. And how do we bring them lovingly back to the truth? It's the greatest love we can share is the truth that God has revealed to us through his son. Thank you, Excellency. You know, I think the Sacred Heart wins again. <laughs> Absolutely. Have a great day. Do you like to write? Would you like to learn to write? What if I told you that anyone can learn to write and build a six-figure income as a result? I'm talking about copywriting. 
the sales letters you've read, the radio and TV commercials that you hear and see, and virtually everything you see online from asking for donations to selling things was written by a copywriter. And those jobs pay big. The American Writers and Artists Institute, or AWAI, will teach you everything you need to know to be a highly paid copywriter. Then, after you've completed their comprehensive course, AWAI will even help you get your first high-paying client. And this is a perfect career for stay-at-home moms because you can work at your leisure from your internet-connected devices from anywhere in the world. Learn more by clicking the link in my show notes that says American Writers and Artists Institute. Do it today. I am hard, but I am fair. It's time for the Catholic Boot Camp with your drill sergeant, Joe Sixpack, the every Catholic guy. Learn the Catholic faith and how to defend it like you've never heard it before. This boot camp is tough, so there's no political correctness, no spirit of Vatican II, and no namby-pamby platitudes. Drill Sergeant Joe Sixpack, the every Catholic guy, will prepare you for spiritual war. Now here's Joe Sixpack. Jill a young woman of about 20, worked in an office building in New York City. She was supporting her chronically ill mother, but her salary wasn't large enough to pay for all the poor woman's treatments. She made one novena after another for a raise in her salary, but God didn't seem to want to answer her prayers. In her frustration, Jill made up her mind that if God didn't give her a raise after the novena she was currently praying, she'd never pray again. On the ninth day of the novena, Jill went to work bright and happy, believing that God was certain to answer her prayer this time and give her a raise. The boss called her into his office, but instead of giving her a raise, he fired her. He explained that his niece had come to town, and he was replacing Jill with his niece. Jill was discouraged and angry. She left for home immediately. She was so angry that she didn't want to talk to God at all. That evening after dinner, she was reading the evening edition of the newspaper when she read a horrifying headline, 12 People Die in Explosion. She read that a package bomb that had come in the mail exploded in the very building where she worked, on the very same floor. Listed among the dead were her boss and his niece. Tears came to Jill's eyes as she fell to her knees and cried out, Oh God, please forgive me, I'm sorry. From the bottom of my heart, I thank you for not answering my prayer. The following week, Jill found a better job that enabled her to give her mother all the help she needed. Here's another story. On a summer morning in 1903, a boy fell and skinned his knee. By nightfall, the scrape started to hurt, but not enough to really bother a 13-year-old boy. Two days later, the pain was intense, and someone ran to fetch old Dr. Conklin. It's not likely we can save the leg, the doctor said after an examination. If it gets worse, we'll certainly have to amputate. But the boy, hearing what the doctor said, called for his brother Ed and begged him not to let anyone cut off his leg. 
Ed promised to protect his brother and stood vigil outside the boy's room to stop anyone from going in to amputate. But the fever mounted, and Dr. Conklin said that nothing short of a miracle could save the boy's life. The family turned to prayer. The mother, father, and Ed prayed together, rising from their knees only to do absolutely necessary farm work in turn. They prayed constantly, night and day. On the third day, four other brothers joined the group. The next morning when the doctor came, he was amazed to find the swelling down and, for the first time, the boy sleeping normally. In three weeks, Dwight David Eisenhower, who would be the general responsible for winning World War II and elected President of the United States in 1952, walked again. We don't pray in order to get God to change his plans, but rather to fulfill them and to obtain what he decided to grant in prayer. Jesus said, Ask and you shall receive in John 16:24. If we neglect to ask, then we can't expect to receive, since we don't use the means God has appointed for our salvation. One of the important means besides receiving the sacraments is prayer. Pray with confidence and humility, but above all with resignation to the holy will of God. He always knows best. Jill was taught this in our first story. When we don't get the answer we want from our prayers, we have to stop and realize that God always has something greater in mind for us. What tends to get us in trouble is, when we don't get the answers we want to our prayers, we often do things on our own that actually interfere with God's plan. It could be many years later before we realize how God indeed answers our prayers for the better, with the benefit of 2020 hindsight. We may not ever see it in this life, but it will be made crystal clear in the next. You must always pray with the confidence a child has in his parent, but neither should we just sit and wait when we can contribute to what we're asking for. St. Ignatius of Loyola, founder of the Jesuit order, had a famous maxim that said, Work as if everything depends on you. Pray as if everything depends on God. God gives us many wonderful mental and physical abilities, and he expects us to use them, even while he expects us to depend on him. Getting answers to our prayers is also conditional. In his Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, Ask, and it will be given you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks it will be opened. Matthew 7, 7 and 8. This is a huge promise made by our Lord, but if we take it in context to his entire sermon, we can see the promise is conditional. Jesus made this promise near the end of his sermon. Along with making this promise, though, he gave us the Beatitudes to live by in Matthew 5, 3 through 10. Told us we have to be the salt of the earth and light of the world in verses 13 and 16. Told us to avoid sin and anger in verses 21 through 26. Demanded our chastity of mind and body in verses 27 through 29. Told us not to divorce and remarry lest we be guilty of adultery in verses 31 and 32. Told us we have to love our enemies in verses 38 through 41. 
insisted that we have to work toward becoming saints in verse 48 said that we are to give alms and pray with purity of intention in chapter 6, verses 1 through 6, insisted that we are to fast and do penance in verses 16 through 18, insisted that we have complete trust in God in verses 25 to 34, and demanded that we live the golden rule while avoiding obstacles to the practice of virtue, chapter 7, verses 12 through 23. Are you not getting answers to your prayers? Then ask yourself if you are doing all that Jesus asked of us in his Sermon on the Mount. At this time, I've been asking God for some pretty substantial things for a while now, and they aren't things I want nearly so much as the things I need, my family need. I don't seem to be getting my answers, so the first thing I do when the answers don't come is to check myself regarding the conditions he placed on us in the Sermon on the Mount. I try very hard to do all these things, but I certainly don't do them perfectly. Of course, it could be that God has something much greater in mind than what I'm asking for in the first place. Either way, I have complete confidence in God that he will be my help and my shield. I must confess, however, that from time to time I'm tempted to doubt. When I do have doubts, I pray the scriptural aspirational prayer from Mark 9:24, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. This is how I pray, although with great flaws, and this is how he expects us to pray. Everyone searches the internet to solve problems or fill needs they have. For many of you, I've already done the heavy lifting. Discounting the evil things searched for online, people generally search for things that tell them how to make money online, health and wellness products, and trading and investing. Some are interested in having their own podcast. I've got your back on these things. Visit cantankerouscatholic.com. Go to the episodes page, then click on the title of this episode. Below the podcast player, you'll see my show notes. I've already listed products and services in various groupings. Check them out. You can help yourself and this apostolate at the same time because if you like what you see and purchase the products or services, this apostolate will get a small commission. Check out those links today. Catholic Church is 2,000 years old. A lot of wisdom is gained over two millennia. Each week we'll share some of that wisdom with a Catholic quote. So here's this week's Catholic quote. This week's Catholic quote is from St. Thomas Aquinas. He said, To one who has faith, no explanation is necessary. To one without faith, no explanation is possible. I believe a really great way to teach the faith is through stories, parables, and anecdotes. So here's today's story. The story is told of two merchants whose businesses were across the street from each other. As is often the case in situations like this, envy developed and grew between the two men. They even refused to speak to each other. One of the two men attended a mission in his parish where the missionary preached on the Tenth Commandment. 
the sermon began this businessman to start thinking. His conscience told him that the situation was wrong. Hoping there might be some way to remedy the wicked rivalry, he went to the missionary with the problem. The best way, explained the missionary, isn't the easiest way, but it is the best way. When people come into your store to buy something you don't have in stock, and you know your competitor across the street has it, tell the customer to go over there and buy it from him. The plan was painful, but the merchant followed the priest's advice. In a short time, the rival across the street realized the customers were coming to him on the advice and suggestion of his former enemy. Finally, he got up enough courage to walk over and thank his generous friend. He even begged pardon for the envious, unfriendly way he'd previously treated him. They became fast friends, and both did a better business they directed to each other's customers who might have otherwise gone to another part of town to make their purchases. Envy shows itself in a sadness at another's success, joy at another's setbacks, and belittling the good qualities of others. Ask God to give you a true spirit of love for everyone. Share your joys and sorrows with others. Realize that money and success aren't everything. Friendship and love are much more valuable. God's blessings will come if you're generous. This has been The Cantankerous Catholic with Joe Sixpack, the every Catholic guy. Thanks for subscribing and be sure to visit cantankerouscatholic.com to get your free copy of Joe's popular book, The Best of What We Believe, Why We Believe It.